Hello, welcome to Texas True Crime. I'm your host, Jessica. I am so glad that you're here with me today. I don't know about where you are in your part of the world, but as most of you probably know, it's real hot here in Texas. In fact, it's 108 degrees today. But when I went to do my grocery pickup at the HEB, I drove to Starbucks and pumpkin spice lattes are out. So I ordered one and pretended it was fall, turned the AC on real cold in my car, and I'm hoping that maybe the weather will start to change. Hopefully, you're not as hot as I am. Anyway, I hope you all had a great week, and I'm glad you're back with me. Today, we're going to be talking about Janine Jones. I don't really have much to say except that she's a horrible person. I know most of the time in true crime land, the people you talk about are horrible people. Last week's was a little lighter about two guys who just couldn't get it together and were the worst criminals we've ever seen. But this woman, it just makes you wonder, why? Why would anybody do things like this? We're going to be talking about Janine Jones. She was also known as the angel of death, but I don't understand why anyone would call someone an angel when they murdered babies. It's going to take us two parts to hear the full story of Janine Jones. Today, we're going to be talking about her early life, where she grew up, and how she decided to become a nurse. You're also, in part two, going to hear about the decades-long fight that the families had to go through to keep this woman in prison. If any of you have listened, or if you guys remember the Coral Watts episodes, it's very similar. It happened in the early 80s when criminals, even if they were violent, repeat offenders, were earning these credits for good time. And so families were having to figure out ways to keep these people in prison. And that's exactly what happened with Janine Jones. But today we're going to focus on her earlier life and what led up to her becoming a killer nurse. Babies are vulnerable. They're supposed to be protected and loved. They aren't able to yell or speak up if someone is hurting them. They can't fight back. They can't even get up and run away. They're not capable of doing any of those things. When parents take their children to the doctor or to the hospital when they are hurt or sick, they expect that professionals are there to treat their children and help them to get well. They trust that their child is going to be taken care of and given everything they need to heal and get better. Janine Jones broke that trust. She was a nurse in the pediatric ICU at Bear County Hospital in San Antonio, Texas. Amongst her colleagues, her shift from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. became known as the death shift because babies under her direct care died at a much higher rate than at any other time of day at the hospital. Janine Jones took advantage of the fact that her tiny patients were in the ICU because their health was fragile. And it was easy to explain away when a child might die unexpectedly. But most of the time, the injuries or the illnesses could be easily treated. She took this advantage and used it to exert her own power over life or death. Janine Jones was born on July 13, 1950, in San Antonio, Texas. Her biological parents put her up for adoption at birth 
and she was adopted by Dick and Gladys Jones. Janine was one of four children that they adopted. Dick and Gladys were unable to conceive on their own, but they wanted a family. And so they adopted Janine and her three other siblings. Janine was the third child out of all the children. Her sister Lisa was the oldest, followed by Wiley, and then Travis was the youngest. Janine complained throughout her childhood that she was unwanted and she felt like she was unloved. She told people she was the black sheep of the family, but I really just think this was her personality. The more you hear about Janine, you'll see what I'm talking about. Her parents doted on her just as much as they did her siblings, but she took everything as a slight. One Christmas, her sister received diamond earrings. Janine received a sewing machine. Janine loved to sew, and she was very good at it. Her parents thought that she would like this gift, but she immediately burst into tears and said that they liked her sister Lisa more, even though they told her the sewing machine cost more than the earrings. But it didn't matter to her. In her eyes, it was a slight. As a child, Janine was always trying to gain attention or preference. She would tell people that she was sick and fake so that she could be get more attention and sympathy. She liked to be the center of everything, and she would do whatever it took to get these things. Janine's co-workers would later on even say that her social, social skills were off, and also that she was pretty unlikable. Now, Janine's father, Dick Jones, started life out as a bookie, but when he met his wife, Gladys, he went straight. Dick was a colorful man, well-known throughout the city. He had a personality larger than life and was well-liked by pretty much everyone. He owned a successful nightclub called the Kit Kat Club. Dick was the host, and his wife, Gladys, kept the books and DJed when they didn't have a live band at the club. The club was a hot spot in San Antonio, and it drew A-list celebrities to it when they were visiting San Antonio. It stayed open for 20 years and never waned in its popularity. Between the club and Dick's other business ventures, the family lived the good life. Their house was located just outside of the San Antonio city limits. They owned an estate that sat on eight manicured acres, complete with a mansion, swimming pool, tennis courts, horse stalls, and a stunning view of downtown 10 miles away. The children always wore nice clothes, took piano lessons, and attended private schools. Dick was generous to a fault with his family and friends. He donated large sums to charities all over town. Family was very important to the Jones. They made sure that they all sat down together every night for dinner. They took family trips together with all the children, and Dick and Gladys were partners in every sense of the word. Even Dick and Gladys's mother, both mothers, were involved in the family business. Gladys's mother lived on the estate with them, and Dick's mother worked at the club. So they were a very tight-knit family. And by all accounts, Dick and Gladys were supportive, really good parents. But in the late 1960s, things were changing and the Kit Kat Club fell out of favor. This put the family in financial strain. Dick Jones had to pivot and start a new business. Dick Jones Outdoor Advertising rented out billboards and placed ads on bus benches. Dick ran the business from a shop on their property, and he was teaching his son Wiley, who was 19 at the time, all about the business in hopes that one day he would take it over. Travis was the youngest child. 
He was 14 and he loved to go out to his father's workshop and mess around. He liked to experiment and try out new things. One afternoon, an employee saw Travis making a homemade bomb. The employee told Travis to stop that because he would set the whole place on fire. In just a few minutes after the employee told him this, the bomb blew up in Travis's face. It shot metal shards into his skull. Travis was rushed to the hospital, but he died just a few short hours later. 16-year-old Janine was devastated. She and her younger brother were very close. He was her best friend. And it sounds like he was probably really her only friend. At the funeral, Janine collapsed, sobbing at his graveside. Considering how distraught Janine seemed to be, you would think that she would want to go home, be alone, grieve in peace and quiet. You would think school would be the last thing on her mind, but she chose to go to school right after the service. Classmates who also attended the service thought it was odd that she would want to come back to school, but they said it seemed like she wanted the attention of her classmates and that she was looking for sympathy. Janine was not popular in high school. Her classmates thought she was bossy and obnoxious. She told classmates what to do. She told them what they should be working on and how they should do it. When they didn't listen to her, which is no surprise, what high schooler wants to be bossed around by another high schooler, she would get very angry with them and glare at them. Janine was aggressive. She also had a very foul mouth. And this was not popular behavior for students in the 1960s. Janine was also messy. She came to school looking dirty and greasy and unkempt. And she would also fall asleep in the library. Even though her behavior was not very social and not very appropriate, Janine was very intelligent. She was also a very talented piano player. She could play anything from ragtime to classical music. And when she chose to be, she was very well-spoken. She could captivate audiences with her storytelling when she chose to turn on the charm. But her peers did not like her. She was an outcast at school. She wasn't very attractive. And like I said, she was unkempt. And she was overweight. She would bustle down the halls, practically running into other people. And this didn't win friends or influence people. Janine and her mother also fought often. They were both strong-willed, and Janine saw her mother as an adversary. After her younger brother died, the only person in her family that Janine seemed to get along with was her father. She loved to spend time with him. She would go out and help him paint the billboards and put the signs up. Wiley wasn't really as interested as his father would like, but Janine was into it. It was a time when she and her father could be alone, and she would confide in him and he would listen to her. Janine admired her father. She looked up to him, and she did her very best to take on her father's personality traits. She was outspoken. She loved the spotlight. She loved to take risks. One of the ways that her risk-taking started taking shape was in the form of lying. Janine told lies about anything and everything. It was as if she wanted to see if she would get caught. But these lies also brought her attention, and Janine wanted to be important. 
She craved that more than anything. Janine muddled through high school. Even though she was very smart, she didn't apply herself in school. Her grades were mediocre, and she didn't really seem to care. During her senior year of high school, Janine's father, Dick, began feeling sick. In November of 1967, he went to the doctor to have some tests run. The family found out that he had terminal cancer. Dick Jones decided to forego all treatments and went home. The cancer progressed rapidly, and on January 3, 1968, he died at the age of 56. Janine told an acquaintance that after her father died, the world went dark. So, in the span of two years, Janine lost two very important people to her. Remember, she's already not a very stable personality, and now she's lost her very best friend, her only friend, her brother, and now she's lost her confidant, her father. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Soon after her father died, Janine started talking about getting married. She thought this was a new path to happiness. Six weeks later, Janine announced that she was going to marry high school dropout Jimmy Delaney. Her mother was beside herself with this news. Here she was, trying to cope with the loss of her husband, still grieving the loss of her son such a short time ago, and now Janine wants to get married. Janine seemed completely oblivious to the feelings of everyone else in the family. She just knew that she wanted to get married because she thought this was going to make her feel better. Gladys knew that Jimmy Delaney was not the right person for her daughter to marry. Like I said, he was a high school dropout. He really didn't hold down a job. He cared mostly about racing cars, drinking beer, and running around with his friends. He was a nobody and he was going nowhere. So, to try to at least hold her daughter off, Gladys said that she had to wait until she graduated high school. Janine knew that there was really nothing she could do about this because she was under 18 and she needed her mother's permission to get married. So she relented, but she said that she wanted to be married as quickly as possible after graduation. Gladys hoped that this would put her daughter off long enough and she'd change her mind. Because like I said, Jimmy Delaney was no prize. She hoped that this would give him a little cooling off period. But 14 days after Janine graduated from high school, she married Jimmy Delaney. In true Dick Jones fashion to honor her husband, Gladys threw a lavish wedding. There was high-priced champagne, No expense was spared. Guests danced to an eight-piece band all night. It was a beautiful ceremony. But the ceremony and the reception had a pall over it. After all, everyone 
at the wedding knew that Gladys was not happy about this union. Now, just like before he got married, Jimmy didn't hold down a job. Still, he really was only interested in racing cars and he had no job and he had no money. So after Gladys paid for them to go to Corpus Christi for a honeymoon, the newlyweds came home and moved into a cottage on the Jones property. Because Jimmy couldn't or wouldn't hold down a job, the newlyweds quickly started arguing in front of everyone. Friends, family, they were very uncomfortable to be around. It was not a happy union, and the honeymoon was barely over. So to get away from his grouchy wife, Jimmy enlisted in the Navy seven months after they were married. Now, we know that Jimmy doesn't have a great work ethic, but Gladys hoped maybe the military would whip him into shape. When Jimmy returned home from boot camp, though, he found out that Janine had been fooling around behind his back the whole time. Janine didn't do anything to hide this. She was proud of her conquests. She bragged about them. Remember, she didn't get a lot of attention in high school from the boys, and now she just decided she was going to get it no matter what. She was aggressive in her pursuit of men, and she really didn't care who it was. One of her, one of the men she had an affair with was Jimmy's best friend, and he was married to Janine's best friend. But Janine really didn't have a conscience about those things. She just went wherever her libido led her. One of the men, though, said that he slept with her because he felt sorry for her. He said she was reaching out. She wanted someone to know her and like her and love her. That was his quote directly. Jimmy overlooked his wife's dalliances and returned to the Navy. Janine moved into an apartment of her own and off of her parents' property, but she frequently went to see her mother and ask for money. Gladys, at this point, told her that she wasn't going to give her any more money and she was going to have to find a career. So, Janine enrolled in Mims Beauty College and trained to become a hairdresser. It turned out that Janine was really good at this. She created herself an alter ego and called herself JoJo. Her clients loved her. They would only let her cut their hair. She could turn anyone's hair of head into a masterpiece. And she reveled in this new attention and this new admiration from her clients. Jimmy was stationed in Georgia. So when um, Janine finished beauty school, she moved out to Georgia. But Gladys's hopes of him learning some work ethic were dashed. Jimmy was just as lazy in the Navy as he was when he was a civilian, and he was soon discharged on disciplinary measures. But this suited Janine just fine. She was happy that her husband had new freedom because now they didn't have any constraints on what they were supposed to do. And she found out that she was five months pregnant with their son, Richard. Janine gave birth to him on January 29, 1972, and named him after her beloved father. But the couple still fought, and they were generally unhappy. After four years of marriage, Janine decided she had had enough marriage. Jimmy came home one day to find that she had packed everything up and left with the baby. She left him a note. She told him that she was flying home to San Antonio and that she wanted a divorce. The couple went back and forth and argued, but they had a brief reconciliation, and Jimmy promised to be responsible. Janine went to work at the Methodist Hospital Beauty Parlor, and Jimmy found a job as a mechanic. But 
With no surprise to anyone, it didn't take long for the couple's reconciliation to sour, and they were officially divorced in 1974. Besides the divorce, the Jones family dealt another blow. Wiley Jones, Janine's older brother, died of testicular cancer at the age of 28. At this point, Gladys kind of fell apart. She had suffered so many losses. Her husband and partner of over 30 years had died. She lost her baby son to a terrible accident. And now her oldest son was also dead very young. And she hit rock bottom. She began drinking. Of course, this just threw Janine into a tailspin because Janine only thinks of Janine. Let's face it, Janine's a narcissist. It's all about Janine. She didn't care that her mother was suffering. She didn't care about anyone else or anyone else's feelings. She just noted that it was an inconvenience to her that her brother died. And even though she was sad and this was traumatic for her also, she didn't stop to think about how this was affecting her mother. Janine, on the other hand, though, was terrified of getting cancer herself after losing her father and brother. She was convinced, even though none of them were linked biologically, that she would also get cancer just like her brother and father. And so she began seeing signs of cancer in everything. She became a hypochondriac. When she got a rash from the chemicals that she used at the hospital beauty parlor, she decided that she needed to leave her profession as a beautician. Now, in typical Janine fashion, she overdramatized everything and told friends and coworkers that her doctor said, either quit your job or lose your hands. That's not what he said, of course, but she was worried that the chemicals might give her cancer. So she decided to change careers. She decided that she should become a nurse. While working at the Methodist Hospital Beauty Parlor, Janine became infatuated with doctors. She thought they were the height of masculinity and that they were the most attractive men of all to her. And she thought if she became a doctor, she would be closer to them. Maybe even she could get a doctor of her own. During this time when she was deciding on her new career venue, she and Jimmy got together for one last hurrah and she became pregnant with her When she found out she was pregnant, Janine swore up and down that it was a co-worker's baby and not Jimmy's. But the problem with this was that this man was gay. And for a little bit of time, he went along with it. But soon the ruse was up. Gladys was trying to get him to sleep with her. He was not interested. And even though they got along really well as friends, the pressure was too much. And she began to make him feel very awkward. And so he told her he couldn't go through with it. So Janine admitted that Jimmy was the father of her child. In June of 1976, Gladys paid for her daughter to enroll in the San Antonio Independent School District's School of Vocational Nursing. It was a one-year training program to become an LVN, and Janine was eager to start work as soon as she could. LVNs did not make near as much money, and they did not have as much responsibility as an RN, but Janine didn't want to take that long. The schooling to become an RN took much longer. She didn't want to waste any time. She seemed to have finally found her calling, though. She made good grades, 
and for the first time, she got along well with her classmates. Janine graduated from her nursing course on May 20th, 1977 with honors. She and the other graduates recited the nurse's pledge. To assist the physician and the professional nurse in performing any service which will improve the welfare of humanity, to safeguard any confidence, to imply the golden rule toward friend and foe alike, to serve the needs of my fellow man. Isn't that interesting considering that Janine really was only interested in serving her own needs and she sure wasn't worried about safeguarding anyone. Janine passed her licensing exam with fine colors. It was the best she had done on any test she'd ever taken. She was now a fully licensed vocational nurse. Two months after graduation, her daughter Crystal was born and she was ready to find her first job as a nurse. Janine found a, a job fairly quickly, but it didn't take long for Janine to also lose her first nursing job. She was fired because she didn't follow protocol, she didn't listen to her superiors, and she took risks that she was not authorized to take. She made decisions that she was not authorized to make. So she was fired. And then she moved on to the Bear County Hospital, where our story will begin next week. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I also would love to hear any suggestions for other cases. You can email me at Texas True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod. You can also find me on Facebook at Texas True Crime. Let me know what you think. Like I said, more ideas. And please remember to hit that follow button, subscribe leave a five-star review, and tell others about the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you with the rest of our story next week. Bye.